Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. My first book, Transforming the Canadian History Classroom, Imagining a New We, came out with UBC Press in October 2020. While you're waiting for your own copy to arrive, enjoy this reading from the introduction. Transforming the Canadian History Classroom, Imagining a New We. To the students I have taught and learned from, may this book do justice to the experience you shared with me. Chapter 1, Meaningful Learning, Imagining a New We. Who do we imagine when we imagine Canada? What do we imagine? Who and what make up Canada's past? Who and what define Canada's future? We can answer these questions from a a variety of perspectives, but as cliche as it sounds, you have to look to the past to understand the future. Perhaps this is why there is so much debate about what and who should be part of the national history curriculum. Formal history education provides a structured basis for imagining a national community grounded in the past with growth towards the future. This is who and what Canada is, curriculum seems to assert. Use this knowledge to invest in its strength and rectify our weaknesses, it encourages. When we look at the history of history curriculum in Canada, we can see an evolution in the stories we tell, from allegiance to the British Crown to a critical acknowledgement of our mistakes in the past. But Canada is a good place, a peaceable place, a place with respect for government and a tolerance for difference remains a small meta-narrative snaking its way through the learning objectives and expectations across the provinces. Yet with a rapidly changing Canadian population and the impetus to answer the calls to action made by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Canada is rethinking the stories it tells about itself, the heroes we worship and the events we commemorate, because who and what Canada is is also changing. The 2011 census highlighted that Canadians represent 200 different ethnicities and that 19% of Canadians identify themselves as a visible minority. As a nation growing through immigration, one in five Canadians is foreign-born, with over two million immigrants making Canada their home here since the year 2000. Statistics Canada projects that by 2031, 30% of Canadians will be a visible minority with a mother tongue other than English or French, and that 55% of these people will be immigrants or the Canadian-born children of immigrants residing in urban centres. Visible minority and immigrant populations are generally younger than the population as a whole, with almost 34% of the immigrant population between 2006 and 2011 under the age of 24, and 19% under the age of 14. Aboriginal populations are also growing, the fastest growing population in Canada in fact, due to high birth rates and a greater claim to Aboriginal identity. Aboriginal populations are also young and metropolitan. One third of Aboriginal people are under the age of 14, and over half live in metropolitan centres. These demographics suggest that, following our sesquicentennial, Canadian classrooms, especially in urban centres, will be host to young transnational and post-slash-neocolonial populations in ways that could never have been imagined at Canada's Confederation. These youth will have Canadian identities layered with experiences and histories from all over the world. They'll come to experience ethnic and cultural diversity as being a normal part of Canadian, and see Canada in the same way they see their own lives, as multi-layered, global, networked, and in need of justice. While the vision and enactment of an idealized multicultural Canadian identity is rarely, if ever, perfect, research shows that Canadian youth recognize and take pride in their diverse enactments of Canadian identity. 
And so, as these youth mature, this pride will challenge the way concepts and enactments of citizenship, nationality, and belonging in Canada are neither as straightforward nor as connected as they were once imagined to be. Our job in the history classroom, I venture, is to help students make sense of these experiences and concepts as being part of a Canadian, a 21st century transnational post-slash-neocolonial Canadian who will work towards greater justice for people on this land and around the world. However, history and citizenship education in Canada has been notorious for promoting a one-dimensional understanding of national belonging that is far from the realities and stories of most young people today. Canadian history education often reaffirms the vision of Canada as a nation developed through European settlement and commercial trade, with growth based on making progress through the wilderness, gaining independence and freedom through military involvement, and developing a tolerance for multiculturalism. This version of Canada leaves out the violent history of colonialism, the state's perpetration of continuous racial injustice, and the desire and action taken to make and keep Canada white. This version of history fails to complicate stories of colonialism, settlement, and or migration. It fails to question and complicate the ways gender and sexuality have acted and interacted to frame and define respectability in class. It fails to trace the development of the nation as the development of neo-colonial capitalist expansion. It fundamentally fails to reflect the complex history of the complex world Canadian students are living in. The absence of these histories and how we teach Canadian history means that these stories of colonialism, migration, race, gender, and capitalism fail to be invited in and explored in our classrooms as having a lasting legacy on the present. But it is these stories, these complex and intersectional stories, that frame the lives young people lead today, and as this book will show, are the stories that young people want taught in schools. The lack of recognition of how the complexities of the past affect the realities of the present has lasting ramifications for how young people understand their place in the past and future of Canada. Students who do not see their experiences reflected in history have a limited understanding of their self and a sense of disconnectedness with the nation and their peers. Professor George Day found that the absence of Black people in the Canadian narrative contributed to, quote, Black students' sense of invisibility, and lack of status as Canadians, end quote, which directly correlated to the choices Black students made to continue or not continue schooling. As one of Day's research participants said, quote, it's like you're learning about someone else's history. It started to take a toll on me after a while, end quote. At the post-secondary level, Tony Waters found that students repeatedly stated that the history they learned in their undergraduate history courses was real because it discussed conflict and struggle, while the history they learned in their high school was fake because it was overly patriotic and positive. Waters' experience indicated that students felt that they had to choose between the two narratives. They were either for or against the national story. They could not be both. In his research with ethnic Estonians, recalling Estonia's entry into the Soviet Union in 1940, James Wirsch found that people could carry dual and dueling national histories, the official narrative of the state and the personal narrative that reflected their experience. People could easily recite the official version of the national story, but Wirsch found that they believed the other one, the personal one, the one that aligned with their lived experiences. This finding led Wirch to question whether it was possible to teach beliefs as well as knowledge about history. While teachers often want to avoid conflict and division in the classroom, 
These findings suggest that teaching an official and sanitized version of the national story does not actually lead to greater cohesion in the classroom. The dualities of national history, real versus fake, official versus personal, indicate that many histories can be present in the history classroom at the same time, and that these histories can be at odds with one another. Not acknowledging the multiplicity of histories that we carry around with us can separate more than bring together, and fail to demonstrate how the congruence of narratives that make up the past are the very stories that tell who we are in the present. As Jamaican-Canadian dub poet Dubai Young stated at the Historica Canada's 2016 event, an evening celebrating Black women in Canada, quote, Issues around racism and sexism and classism and ageism and ableism and homophobia and all those things are really about a lack of self-awareness, end quote. A lack of awareness about who and what have come before and the lack of understanding we may have about the connections we all share. Seeing these connections, understanding these connections, appreciating these connections bring us closer to breaking down an us versus them mentality and getting to a greater sense of we that can take into account multiple stories and lived experiences as being part of the nation. Yet, as Kent Denheyer and Lawrence Abbott found, for many history educators, the concept of we and they in history education are, quote, assumed rather than taken up as starting points for historical work across the disciplines, end quote. Teacher candidates do not often recognize that a grand narrative of Canada exists to homogenize and define Canadian by stipulating who and what is part of our national identity and who and what is other. Because they fail to begin with the grand narrative, teachers also fail to problematize it, and thus even solidifying it, exacerbating who is us and who is them in the Canadian nation. However, it is the very concept of we and they embedded in the grand Canadian narrative that needs to be interrogated in our transnational and post-slash-neocolonial Canada, especially for the transnational and post-slash-neocolonial youth in our classrooms today. When young people look at the world around them, they see populist politics, climate injustice, public health crises, war, displacement, and other structural effects of a world that will provide them with less stability than it did previous generations. We are beginning to see that youth are fighting back and demanding that world leaders be more accountable for the racial, gendered, economic, and environmental inequities that shape our world today. These activities will not be confined by national walls, but they will be networked, digital, and global. These youth are preparing for this world. These youth are this world. And to be successful, they need to stand on a solid historical foundation that brings together more than separates. A solid historical foundation that reflects the world students see around them, not a series of stories that fail to hold weight for the connections and complexities young people embody today. And so I ask, how can Canadian history education better take its place in this conversation? How do we teach Canadian history in ways that prepare today's youth for enacting change in this world? How do we teach Canadian history in ways that allow transnational and post-slash-neocolonial experiences to be understood within Canada? How can we imagine a Canadian identity in the Canadian history classroom that ensures that the world outside the classroom is contextualized inside the classroom? How can we bring these stories together to speak for a Canadian we that comes together to fight against and dismantle national and global systems of inequity? How can we transform the Canadian history classroom to imagine a new we that holds space for the multiple ways one can be a Canadian? 
These are central questions we, as history educators in the 21st century, must answer in both our pedagogies and classroom practices. To move forward in Canada, to develop a historically grounded sense of we in our Canadian history classrooms, to transform who we could be and what we could do in our history education, we need to be in a better position to understand Canada as a multi-layered and complex narrative of colonialism, migration, inequity, and resistance. This does not mean just ensuring that a diversity of perspectives is heard, but rather capturing how the structures of our nation enable some stories to define how we understand the nation and other stories to be peripheral to these understandings. The findings of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, for example, have resulted in more Indigenous content in Canadian classrooms, but the Commission was very clear that content inclusion alone will not lead to reconciliation. Rather, reconciliation needs to be understood as the development and ongoing maintenance of relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people based on respect for the land and for the people whose epistemologies and experiences have been grounded in that land for thousands of years. It is a change in the structure of Canadian knowing, committing, and relating to each other and the lands that the Commission has advocated for. But the stories that support this change are the one that settlers have been trained not to hear, or rather, to evidence away. The history classroom seems like an ideal place to develop the fodder for a new we in Canada, a place to deconstruct the stories that we've been told and to find new ways to put them back together again a place where stories can grow and change, shrink and be replaced, augment and develop who Canada is now and who it could be in the future. A place to put stories back together again in ways that acknowledge how injustice in the past has led to structural exclusion in the present. And to put stories back together again in ways that decenter the voices and aims of our country founders who tried to legislate away the very cultural and ethnic diversity in Canada that we are known for today. To put the stories of Canada back together again in ways that provide a foundation for greater social action. To put the stories of Canada back together again in ways that demonstrate how the past is visceral and present and courts both the inequity and resistance we see around us. This is not an impractical or an idealistic imagining of Canadian history education, but a transformative one designed for the student, not for the nation or for the history or for the discipline. To transform the Canadian history classroom is to see history education as being able and willing to do something different, to do something radical for the young people in the room and the ways that they can be in this country together. However, so often when we talk about history education, we focus on teaching, on better methods, greater resources, more professional development. And this is important. We do need to ensure that teachers are equipped to do the difficult work in the classroom. But when we only talk about teaching, when we only focus on teaching, we fail to focus on learning. We fail to focus on students, who they are, what they know, and what they need for the future. When we only focus on the work of the teacher, not on the experiences and needs of the student, we can inadvertently slip into what Paulo Freire calls the banking model of education, whereby teachers deposit contents into students' heads, as if the students were nothing but empty vessels. Another way to think of this is the education for transmission, not transformation, where education is designed to be repeated by the student, not activated into something new. When we make the explicit effort to think about learning rather than teaching, we can be reminded that the students in our classroom are people before they are students. They are young Canadians who are, are going to inherit the world that we are creating. 
They're not empty vessels waiting to be told the rules of Canadian legitimacy. They are young people interested in understanding the rules of the society they see around them. They're interested in understanding why these rules do not always make sense, how these rules can seem to challenge their own lived experiences, and how these rules are not neutral or unchanging. They may also be interested in seeing how these rules can be challenged, sublimated, subverted, rewritten, and radicalized, how people like them are in a position to, quoting Michel Foucault, seize these rules, invert their meanings, and redirect them against those who initially impose them, end quote. When we think about learning over teaching in our history classes, we can start seeing how young people are in their history classes waiting to be shown, whether they recognize it or not, that history is possibility, not predetermination. And we as history educators can guide them towards this knowledge. If we want our students to be literate in navigating their world, they need to know that their stories, their transnational and post-slash-neocolonial stories are there, and that we recognize the pain in their disavowal. And that these stories are not individual experiences, but national stories. And to learn them is the work that all Canadians have a responsibility to engage in, not just the ones we feel whose voices are missing. When we focus on learning Canadian history rather than teaching Canadian history, we can provide space for these transformative explorations of the Canadian past to help young people see themselves in the Canadian present and the future. This focus on students and their learning is what I call meaningful learning in Canadian history education. Meaningful learning in history education involves history that has significance to students' lives now and in the future, both inside and outside the classroom, framed with interpretations of the past that line with their sense of familial or community history in and for the wider world. This sense of meaningful learning in Canadian history is both affective and political. Ideally, in their learning, students would feel a connection to history and be reaffirmed in that understanding of how complex the world is today. With this knowledge, students can be stirred to make change for a world that has greater justice for themselves and others. This definition draws on Joseph Novak's definition of meaningful learning as, quote, the constructive integration of thinking, feeling, and acting leading to empowerment for commitment and responsibility, end quote. For Novak, meaningful learning requires three things, connection to prior knowledge, meaningful material, and the ascent of the learner. He identifies that meaningful learning happens when students have space to negotiate meaning of new, meaningful content in a positive emotional climate. This then develops their sense of I'm okay and grounds their sense of self in the classroom community. While Joseph Novak comes from a learning science background, the idea of meaningful learning can also be found in radical and critical approaches to education, specifically the work of Paulo Freire and Bal Hooks. Freire writes that an emancipatory approach to education, a pedagogy of the oppressed, is a problem-posing approach to teaching and learning that makes people and their histories the starting point for education. It is education, he writes, that is imbued with, quote, a profound trust in people and their creative power, end quote. Bell Hooks also identified the importance of centering people and their experiences in the articulation of a, quote, engaged pedagogy, end quote, that involves a mutual and interactive relationship between teacher and student, with ongoing dialogue based on trust, confidence, and a belief in democracy. Taken together, these ideas stress the importance of the learner, what they already know, what they need to know to move forward in a healthful and secure manner, and the importance of material that can be discussed and actively explored while doing so. 
This approach to teaching and learning decenters a canon and decenters the ego of the teacher in favor of the student and their needs for the present and future. To learn Canadian history meaningfully, then, is to connect the past with what one already knows about the present, the complex and diverse present, in ways that will have a positive and lasting impact on one's sense of self. To learn Canadian history meaningfully means students come to know themselves in a past that has denied the multiculturalism that is lauded in the present. To understand what truth and reconciliation means when decolonizing and indigenizing Canadian culture that makes many Canadians, especially many Canadian leaders, uncomfortable. To understand how power and privilege work through present day remembrance and commemoration practices. A meaningful learning approach to teaching Canadian history means that today's diverse, transnational, and post slash neocolonial youth are able to see themselves in the future and past of Canada and that their needs for learning history are integrated in the practice and pedagogy of teaching Canadian history. This transformative approach to history education does not rely on inventing new stories about the past, but rather demonstrating the connections we have with the complexity of the past and doing so in ways that demonstrate a care for students as whole and complex Canadians. Nationalist discourses are designed to define us in opposition to them, but transforming the Canadian history classroom to develop a sense of we is premised on ever-increasing circles of inclusion and connection, the inclusion of the student and their histories in the room, the inclusion of controversial and difficult histories as present in our understanding of the past, the inclusion of indigeneity and the ways we have to continue developing relationships of reconciliation. The inclusion of time and space to research and think through what we know and how we know it, along with what we do not know and why we do not know it. The inclusion and care of the other and acknowledgement of their presence through their structured absence. This transformation is based on an ethical relationality that is, quoting Dwayne Donald, an ecological understanding of human relationality that does not deny difference, but rather seeks to understand more deeply how our different histories and experiences position us in relationship to each other. End quote. A relational and connected approach to teaching and learning Canadian history, however, is not an easy fit in today's curriculum. Over the last decade, Canadian history curriculum across Canada has been focused on an approach to teaching and learning history that supports the development of students' historical consciousness through the benchmarks of historical thinking. This approach to history curriculum is more transactional than it is transformative in that it focuses on the development of rational, skills-based problem-solving through the discipline rather than on personal and social change through a collab collaborative exploration of the ecological, intuitive, and interrelated conceptions of knowledge. Rather than focusing on potentially divisive stories, the historical thinking approach focuses on questions that, quote, everyone asks about the world around them. Questions such as, how did things get to be where they are today? What group do I belong to and how did we come to be? How do we judge actions of the past? Are things getting better or are they getting worse? What stories should I believe? What stories should I tell? What can I do to make the world better? Quoting Satius 2006. However, understanding how to think through these questions should be the focus of Canadian history education because, according to Peter Satius, quote, there are too many origins, too many histories, too many stories, end quote, in Canadian history for history education to do otherwise. 
However, the questions that Seishas identifies that we all share about the world around us are very similar to the questions Justice Murray St. Clair said that Indigenous youth in Canada have been unable to answer because of their violent estrangement from their own histories. Questions such as, where do I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? Who am I? The idea that teaching Canadian history should start with everyone having the same questions about the world they live in and that these questions provide a neutral starting ground for engaging in the disciplinary study of the past, glosses over the fact that history does not affect us all equally and that we do not come, we cannot come to learning history with the same questions either. This presumption of an equal starting ground through the, these questions conceals the politics in the present and past in ways that are not helpful in students working through or beyond them in the study of history. I make this argument early on as a way to position my thinking in the larger landscape of history education in Canada. I explore the history of historical thinking in further detail in Chapter 2 and recognize the ways that this thinking is embedded in the fabric of contemporary curriculum. However, given that the historical thinking approach to history curriculum had not been integrated in the curriculum when I conducted my research, the critiques I have of historical thinking are implicit rather than an explicit focus of this book. Instead, the current inquiry and primary source-focused history curriculum used across Canada can be complemented by an approach to pedagogy that places students and their meaningful learning at the center of how teaching and learning is organized. This complement, this radical visioning of history education, is the focus of this book. The majority of evidence I use in this book draws on research I conducted in four high school history classrooms in 2011. Greater details follow, but in sum, the purpose of this research was to understand the relationships in the history classroom that supported or curtailed the possibilities for meaningful learning. As I discussed throughout, I found that although students were keen to learn history meaningfully, they were presented with content and instruction in their Canadian history classrooms that had nothing to do with who they were or what they wanted to know. The Canada that they learned about in school was disconnected from the Canada they saw around them, and so students stated and acted in ways that demonstrated a hatred towards Canadian history and Canadian history education. But what I also saw and heard in these classrooms, and what I highlight in this book, is that these students represent a diverse group of young people trying to make sense of who they are in this place called Canada. They wanted to learn Canadian history in ways that acknowledge and cared for their complex connections to Canada, more so than, or at least alongside with, the mainstream story of Canada. Yet these desires were not always seen, acknowledged, or even recognized as valid for understanding Canadian history. Because of the tension that developed from the denial of students' desires, Relationships were not developed in the classroom. Relationships between teacher and student, students and the content, the teacher and the content, in ways that could have invited students to learn meaningfully from the Canadian past. This book focuses on those experiences in order to demonstrate the meaningful possibilities that can be imagined when students' desires to learn history are put first. This is not advocating for curricular change as much as advocating for a pedagogical approach that is more transformative than transactional or transmissive. This work encourages a shift in how a class may engage in their history education so that the focus is less on remembering facts or assessing evidence and more on the meaningful learning that can be engendered when those facts and that evidence are used to develop a greater, more affective engagement in imagining a nation that includes them. This book is a call for a radical imaginative history education practice in Canada by placing students, 
and the stories they carry, the stories they want to hear, the stories they desire to be part of, at the center of what is done and can be done in the history classroom, and use that center to ratify and support a historically grounded vision of who we are in Canada today. Over the next decades of the 21st century, Canada will undergo dramatic changes to its identity and population in ways that will forever alter who and what the nation understands itself to be. As a settler colony and a commonwealth country with an ongoing civil rivalry with its closest neighbor, that dramatic change is part of a historical legacy that has redeveloped Canadian identity over centuries of settlement. Young people deserve to know this. Young people deserve to know about the ebb and flow of national identification, the movements of bodies across borders, and the systems of oppression that have thrived under colonialism. With a focus on we in the Canadian history classroom, a relational, affective, and a politicized we, Canadian educators and historians can transform the Canadian history classroom into one that addresses the current context of the Canadian nation and bring us meaningfully into the 21st century. This book is divided into six chapters. Following the introduction provided in this chapter, chapter two, I discuss the popular and curricular conversations about heritage and history curriculum in Canada. During the first decade and a half of the 2000s, Canadian cultural identity have been oscillating between conservative commemoration, multicultural celebration, and post-slash-neocolonial reconciliation. Canada and its peoples have not fully reconciled these three dimensions of the past and present, and yet they haunt our interactions and plans for the future. When understanding this context, we begin to see the transnational and post-slash-neocolonial lives young people are living in today, and how, or if, history and social studies curriculum have responded to them. It is in this chapter where I discuss the limitations of the current historical thinking approach to history education by arguing that historical thinking fails to hold room for the relational, affective, and political knowledge that can lead to meaningful learning. In chapter three, I use the voices of students to articulate young people's needs for Canadian history education. It is easy to brush off students' explicit hatred of the textbook and their preference for learning interesting history over boring history as the superficial demands of teens. Arguably, these pronouncements do seem one-dimensional and cliche. However, I pair students' words with their behavior and interpret their demands for history education to be more than what they appear. Students are looking for history education that is invested with connection, complexity, and care. This triad of connection, complexity, and care is especially relevant for racialized students who have a hard, if not impossible, time reconciling their experiences as Canadians with learning history that denies these experiences as being insufficiently Canadian. I argue that, through the triad of connection, complexity, and care, we can support a Canadian we that invites students to understand themselves in the Canada of the past, present, and future. In Chapter 4, I use one teacher as a case study of someone who's had the desire and materials to teach with connection, complexity, and care, but who continuously undermined the possibilities of meaningful learning in her history class by limiting connections and removing complexity from the Canadian story by pathologizing her students as others who could not make connections to Canadian history, and by keeping a tight rein on the Canadian story by appealing to chronology and an understanding of quote-unquote facts. This teacher centered her own personal vision of Canadian history, a version that left histories and the experiences of racialized people, including those of her students, on the sidelines. This case study serves as an example of how, even if the pedagogy is sound, 
students' meaningful learning in the Canadian history classroom can be undermined through teaching practice. Although teachers have considerable power to direct the content and instruction in their classrooms, it is important to remember that they do not work in a vacuum, but rather in an institutional context that influences the possibilities of their work. Thus, in Chapter 5, I move to the institutional context of formal schooling to argue that if schools are not places that encourage meaningful teaching for teachers, then it is difficult for teachers to imagine creating an environment of meaningful learning for students. Except in explicitly alternative learning environments, school structures rarely provide teachers with the time, space, or place to develop the connection, complexity, and care necessary for students to learn meaningfully with the historical narratives. Consequently, teachers can enter a classroom without any sense of needing or wanting to build relationships. This lack of relationality between teachers and students in a school structure can engender, has direct ramifications for the possibilities of teaching and learning in individual classrooms. Thus, being clear about these limitations can help educators develop strategies to circumvent them and to find the time, space, and place they need to prioritize their own meaningful teaching in the history classroom. In Chapter 6, I conclude this book by demonstrating how a method of inquiry based on a student-centric and post-structuralist approach to history education can practically and meaningfully help frame teaching and learning Canadian history. The idea of historic space is based on a post-structural understanding of history and is interpreted through concept learning focused on students' active construction of meaning. Historic space provides an opportunity for students to construct, deconstruct, and reconstruct historical narratives in ways that invite them to explore the operations of power and privilege in the past and present. It also invites students to challenge traditional narratives with counter-stories that trouble our understanding of truth. It is a model that privileges learning over teaching, and that, in doing so, develops meaningful learning in a sense of we, with and in the Canadian story. Meaningful learning with historical narratives is based on a relational, political, and affective interaction with historical content and the teachers and students in the room. Meaningful learning can be facilitated regardless of the curriculum, textbook, or political climate because it involves the choice to both the student and the teacher to recognize the special place they share in negotiating meaning with and for each other when learning and teaching Canadian history. Meaningful learning is based on connection, complexity, and care of the students and the histories they carry, the histories they want to know, and the histories that connect with them with their classmates. Meaningful learning is also based on a care for the teacher and a commitment to creating an institutionalized structure that gives teachers the time, space, and place to do the work they need to explore the Canadian past and present with their students. Transforming the Canadian history classroom requires imagining us together, learning meaningfully with the narratives that shape our lives in Canada. As educators, historians, as adults in Canada, we do not have to convince young people that history is important. We have to make history important enough for them to learn. This is our challenge, not theirs, because, as one student told me, we come to class to get educated, and you're going to have to bring it to the table. From more of Transforming the Canadian History Classroom, Imagining a New We, order your copy from UBC Press or wherever you get books. Have a great day.